0: going, we need to have vision for ourselves as individuals, vision for our families. If you're, in a, if you're in a workplace and you lead in the work, you need to have vision for that. You need to be continually bringing uh, people back to focus on it. And vision in a church is so essential. And one of the things that I want to do is actually to spend a Sunday morning doing. Uh, a presentation on what we feel our vision is as a church. That's not going to be today, Um, but we want to bring that so that we're clear about where we're going as a church. Um, But today I wanted us to just pray that as we are in that process of of, uh, listening to God and knowing what the vision is, that God really makes it clear to us. There's lots of things that we're thinking about, things that God has said, and uh, things that God is continuing to say Um, And I just wonder if we could stand and I'll lead a prayer. Um, This is the last of our corporate prayer gatherings. So if you never managed to one during the week, you're at one now. Uh, It's just that I'm going to lead that. So let's stand and we'll pray. Father, your word says that without vision, people perish. Without vision, people cast off the restraints that are upon our lives. And Father, we pray that you would give us vision Father, that you would help us to have a clear picture, not just of who you are, but, Father, a clear picture of who we are. And, Lord, we pray that you would continue to lead us on in your purposes. Father, I pray today for the church that you would continue to uh, speak to us, that you'd impart that vision. And, Father, that we would know exactly what it is that you're saying. And, Lord, we do pray that as we embrace what you're saying to us, (coughs) excuse me, Father, that we embrace what you're saying to us, that we would move forward in it. Father, your heart's desire is never that we stand still. but Father, that we keep moving forward, that we keep taking new ground. Father, your desire is never for us to be static, but to be active and to be moving. And Father, we just pray that you'd help us to rise up and be all that you call us to be. Father, we just pray that you would uh, settle these things in our hearts, Father, that we might know with certainty that you're speaking and that the steps which we take as a church, as individuals, because we're part of that, Father, the steps which we are taking are the ones which you have ordained. Father, we pray that you'd help us not to run ahead, which is unlikely. Father, help us not to lag behind the things which you're saying. And Father, we pray that you would cause faith to rise within this family here, this church, this grouping, this gathering. Lord, this is a family, and we thank you for it, and we pray your blessing on this family. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 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 So, the title of uh, my message today is I See a Church. Um, So I've already said today is not a vision-casting day. Uh, where the senior pastor stands in front of the church and talks about the vision of the church, but it is a forerunner to that message, and it's on the way. You know, for many years, I supported Andrew and his vision for this church. In fact, since 1991, Mary and I have been part of this church, serving that vision, serving Andrew's vision, even before I was on staff. And then in September 2015, I became Andrew's successor as the senior pastor in the church. And now it's my turn to take these things on and to lead the church forward and to know with certainty what we're seeing as leaders and taking this church forward into its future. I've already said this church is 40 years old this year. Life begins at 40. I'm excited about it. So I'm looking at all the things which God is saying, listening and trying to work it all out, make sense of it all, and then begin to put arms and legs on that so that we know where we're going. You know, I remember listening to a message by a man called John Ortberg. And he was talking about vision. And I'll never forget when he came to these words. This is what he said. He said, Jesus is the vision. You know, if as a church we need to remember anything, we need to remember that Jesus is the vision. If we're wondering what we should be like as people, we need to look at Jesus. There is the vision of perfection. That is what he's calling us to be like. He's calling us to walk alongside him and to become like him and to grow up into his fullness. In the office there, I've got a plaque up above my bookcase which says this, is it still still all about Jesus? That's what it says through there. If you go in, you'll have a wee look. You're more than welcome to go in. Just don't steal anything off my desk, okay? <laughs> Pens and such like. Is it still all about Jesus? And that's the crucial question. He's desiring that we should be like him in every way. Andrew's final message back in September, eh, August, sorry, 2015. It was his last message in the church, and he spoke from Acts chapter two, and this is. This is his main points. To build a great church, you need devoted followers. Point two, unity in the church is vital. Point three, the importance of Sunday, gathering together and coming together as family. Point four, always expect God to show up. I wonder if we do that. Point five, understand who you are in Christ. Point six, we don't build the church Jesus does. Point seven. And I believe this. The best is yet to come. And there's much wisdom in what Andrew said. And as I come to a reading for today, I see a church. I see a church that I want to be part of. And this is what it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs signs were done through the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hugh, Nathan, we've got sound in this presentation. I forgot to say that to you at the start, uh, just so that you're aware. And if I was to throw my tuppence worth into what Andrew has said, and looking at this church, what I would say is that we want to be a church that's Christ-centered and community-centered focused. That's what we're aiming for. Christ-centered and community-focused. To be Christ-centered means to put Christ in the driving seat of our lives. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, this analogy. You know, for those of you who drive, um, I, I don't know how comfortable you are being in the passenger seat. I really don't like being in the passenger seat. I like to be in the driver's seat and there's a, a little video that I'm gonna show you. It just kinda of sprung to my mind as I was thinking about today and preparing for it. Who's ever seen James Corden's karaoke? Carpool karaoke. Yeah? yeah? Well I'm gonna show you a James Corden's carpool karaoke. I'm not gonna give it away. Let's just let's just watch it. Imagine how you would feel if you went into the, drive- the passenger seat of a car, and for those of you who don't know Stevie Wonder, which is probably nobody in here, Stevie Wonder's blind, right? <laughs> no, not this Stevie Wonder, the other Stevie Wonder, okay? Imagine sitting in the passenger seat and the driver can't see where he's going. Would you be a passenger in that car? Right? Imagine, though, that our lives are like that and we're in the driver's seat of our own car, of our own lives, and we're not actually able to see where we're going. Would you be able to be trusted to drive your life to the place where God wanted it to go? If you don't know where you're supposed to go and you can't can't see, how much can we be trusted? I have to say, I I don't think I'd like to be James Corden being driven about by Stevie Wonder. Um, (laughs) But, you see, the reason for showing that is that's what life can be like sometimes. We want to be in the driver's seat, but yet we're not really sure what's happening with our lives or where it's going. And yet we want to still keep control. And what I'm suggesting is that when we become Christ-centered, is that we move over into the passenger seat and we let him take control of the wheel. We'll let him take control of the journey, the direction, where we're going, and all of those things. And going to the places where he wants us to go. I use that phrase, Christ-centered and community-focused. Imagine Jesus is in the driving seat, and he takes us to places, and he begins to show us. He takes us on a drive around our community, and he begins to show us the things which he wants us to see in our community so that we become focused on the things which he wants us to see. And then we start to listen to what the solution is to the things that we're seeing. That's what we mean by being Christ-centered and community-focused. It's about having him in the driver's seat and allowing him to take us around and show us what he wants us to see. Jesus needs to be at the center of our lives We need to see what he sees. We need to be moved by the things that move him. Moved in a way that we begin to demonstrate God's love in our community. What does the Bible say? That we'll be known for what we say. As Christians, we'll be known for what we do. And when we when what we do doesn't match with what we say, and there's that discord, then what do people say? What's the word that people use? so, People call us hypocrites because we proclaim one thing and say we believe one thing, but actually we do something else. Jesus calls us to be selfless, not selfish. Jesus calls us to look at him and to emulate his qualities, and he lived a selfless life. And God asks us to work out the, his purposes, that our goal is the same, and that's the demonstration of God's, God's love. And that is manifest in all sorts of ways. And so the church that I'm looking at here in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to rattle through three points The church, I see, is a covenant community. Point number one. What does it say here in Acts chapter 2, verse 41? Those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. The background to the story here is that the disciples have been hiding for fear of what would happen to them. The Holy Spirit has come, and this miracle has happened in their midst. Not only have they begun to speak in other languages, which the people gathered from all around that central part of the world could understand the wonders of God in their own language, but they had a boldness to actually proclaim it. Some people said they were drunk. Some people thought they were crazy and mad. And then Peter, the one who had denied Jesus, the one who had been so impetuous that he had taken up a sword, cut off somebody's ear, got scared, done a runner. And deny Jesus three times. This same Peter is now found standing up in front of this crowd. And beginning to explain to the people what has happened. And he goes into the book of Joel. And he explains that this is the fulfillment of God's word for our time. Their time and our time. And when he speaks, he tells them about what they've done with Jesus. And the Bible tells us that they're cut to the heart. And they say, what what must we do to be saved? And then Peter tells them to believe, to confess, to be baptized in Jesus' name. And that day, 3,000 people, 3,000 people were added to the church. And the church is a covenant community. It's not like a social club. It's not like joining the bowling club or Whitburn Juniors, for those who are so inclined. Good as those things are. They became part of a community of people who were committed to this person called Jesus Christ. They committed themselves to God. They entered into a new covenant. The old covenant involved sacrificing animals for the forgiveness of sins. So glad we don't need to do that anymore. The new covenant involved the acceptance of one final sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. And that person was Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Which is why we do this. We remember that sacrifice. One of the most quoted verses in the Bible is John 3.16. Why did God do this? God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, that we become part of a covenant community, a community based around a promise. Genesis 15, chapter 18 says this, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And that word made is actually interpreted cut. So you could say that the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. We've heard that phrase, cutting a deal. we heard that in business. Those of you who are in business, you cut a deal. And what is happening here is that something has happened, something permanent that is cut, set into stone, as it were. God has made that promise to Abram. The Apostle Paul goes on in the New Testament to talk about covenants as well. And he likens the church... (coughs) We are the church. And he likens our relationship to Jesus like a a marriage relationship. And he's talking about marriage, but then he goes on to say, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We read that in Ephesians chapter 5. And Jesus likens his relationship with us like a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. It's a covenant relationship. When I married Mary on the 30th of March, 1991. See, I can remember when my anniversary is. <laughs> I made a promise to Mary. And she made promises to me. We call them vows. And uh, we talked about maybe renewing our vows on our 25th wedding anniversary of last year. But Mary says, oh, no, I'm not going to give you the chance. You might say no this time. <laughs> <laughs> and th- these are the words that we said I can still hear them in my own head I can still hear my mistake in my own head I call upon these persons here present to witness that I Stephen take you Mary to be my lawful wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse and there's been the better and there's been the worse for richer and for poorer, I'm still waiting on the richer. Which I very much doubt. Unless you get a new senior pastor and I get another job somewhere. I'm joking, I'm joking. In sickness and in health, and we've enjoyed both, believe it or not. If you can ever enjoy sickness. But we found God come in some of those times. If you can ever enjoy sickness... And we don't really enjoy it. But we can find joy in difficult circumstances. In sickness and in health. That was the bit that Mary said you probably opt out of. To love and to cherish. To love, for me to love her as Christ has loved the church. Wow. What a thing. Until death to us part. According to God's holy ordinance. And so I give you my promise. And these vows were made in the presence of witnesses. And most importantly before God who is our witness. We have a covenant relationship. Our relationship is built on a promise. And we have things like this to remind us about that promise. God has made a covenant to us. And the symbol of the covenant, if if I can say anything, is that he's filled us with his spirit. God's Holy Spirit lives within us. It talks about his spirit in us being that down payment, that deposit when we go to see Jesus and we meet him face to face, that he will see his spirit in us and he'll know that we're his. And he's made that promise. And therefore we are not just a social club, but we are a covenant community. We are a community that gathers together around a promise. And that promise is that Jesus has promised us eternal life. And it's not just something that we wait for in heaven. It's something that begins now. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and life in all its fullness. And our commitment is around that one person, that person of Jesus Christ. I see a church that was a committed community, And in a committed community, we need to take serious the word responsibility. It says here in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. No one else in this this church can make you devoted to anything. Nobody. Nobody can do that. Nobody can make me any more or less devoted than I am in my relationship to God. The only person that can take responsibility for my devotion is me. And the only person that can take responsibility for your devotion is you. As leaders, we can do things and encourage and get alongside and do all sorts of things in the church to make it possible for us to help us to to get to that place. But I can't dictate or control your choices. Never can. And actually, I don't want to. I don't want to make choices for you, anyone in here. You need to make your own choices because you need to live by the consequences of those choices, not me. And that's why you won't make any decisions for me either, because I need to live by the consequences of my decisions and choices. But when we stand before God, there'll not be anybody else standing next to you. The people who've helped us through, the people who've been alongside us and encouraged us and supported us, they'll not be standing next to us. When I stand in front of God to give an account of my life and the things which I've done, I will stand before him as one person. Whether other people will be able to hear what he says, I don't know. But I think when we get to that point in our lives, before, before the very author of creation, it won't really matter who's standing round about, I don't think. And I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And every day I have a choice to make about how I wake up, about how I conduct myself that day. Am I going to be a committed person committed to Jesus and committed to this community or am I going to just do my own thing See, I can't be bothered anymore and when I stand before God I won't be able to make any excuses just me and God and an all knowing and an all seeing God who sees the very depths of my being. I read Psalm 139 and I'm so comforted in one way because God knows me and then I think, oh no, <laughs> he knows me. <laughs> How bad is that? All the weaknesses, all the frailties, all the stuff that doesn't bring honour to Jesus. Every day I have a choice to make. God has ordained Christ. In fact, has ordained leaders in the church. The leaders referred to here in the early are the early apostles, those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection into his ascension. These were the people who led the early church and Christ appoints leaders in the church and leaders' jobs are to lead in different ways. We read about that in Ephesians 4. But I see in this early church a church that was responsible. They devoted themselves to these apostles' teaching, to fellowshipping with each other, connection, to breaking of bread, what we call communion. We've done that this morning, And to prayer, we've had a week of prayer, but we've come together to pray. I see a committed community, responsible, but they were also relational. It says in verse 46, every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It was a relational community. They met together. They met in the temple, but they also met in homes. They ate together, and it's an enriching experience sitting around a table and eating with people and sharing our stories and discussing, sharing our hopes, our fears, our dreams, things that make us laugh. I was just saying to to somebody recently, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting in our kitchen table, the four of us, having our tea. And uh, Josh started impersonating some video that, that he had seen on, uh, on YouTube. I mean, it was just daft. It was crazy. And he started laughing. And before we know it, Sarah had started laughing. And then before we know it, the whole bunch of us are sitting laughing our heads off at we don't know what. <laughs> and then Josh showed us the video, and we realized we were laughing at like, That's not that funny. But there's something that's enriching about sitting around a table. And that's something we endeavor to do at least once a day, to sit around the table as family, to discuss the day. Phones are banned, although sometimes I take mine out. Apologies. Although in the Neely's house, apartment, if you take the phone out when you're at the table, you have to do the dishes. So there's, there's, a, there's a good rule. It was a relational community. And we understand that in family when we sit around the table. And we eat together. And we fellowship together. And on Saturday morning, we sat around a table in here. And we ate together. And we fellowshiped together. And we prayed together. If you don't have a table, get a table. And sit around that table with people. Your family, your friends. Invite somebody along. What does it say? They broke bread in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I've mentioned this before, but if we want to be a committed community, we need to be committed not only to God, but we need to be committed to each other. Every single one of us, no exceptions. Finally, I see a church that was a compassionate community. And a compassionate community is a generous community. All the believers were together, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling the possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. The Bible goes on to talk about this. It's a principle that's reiterated in Philippians. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's even referred to And Romans as a gift. And some people have a gift for contributing to the needs of others. And some people are blessed financially precisely because they do contribute to the needs of others. What does it say? We have different gifts according to the grace that is given us. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Generously. The Bible says that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Love isn't a feeling. Love is an action. Generosity isn't a feeling. Generosity is an action. To be a compassionate community, it needs to be a giving community. They gave to anyone as he had need. And one of the reasons that we have a food bank is that we can contribute to the needs of others. So that when the food bank is looking for volunteers, Kathleen, here's your plug, to sort through stock, to look at dates, to get tins ordered into their types and kinds, when they're looking for people to stand at the end of a checkout and smile at people and maybe have a conversation with somebody before you take their money, (laughs) or to work in the warehouse or to meet clients, And the list really is endless of jobs that go on in the food bank. Why do we do this? Because we're given to the needs of others. This compassionate community was a giving community. And the day we stop giving is the day we stop being compassionate. The day we stop being compassionate is the day we stop being Christ-like. We're commanded to be a generous and giving community. And lastly... They were a growing community. Listen to this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What was one of Andrew's points? We don't build the church. Jesus does. It's his church. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I wish I could say that about West Lothian, the church in West Lothian. That the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. It was a grown community. Every day, people were attracted to the message as they saw it lived out in other people. They saw it lived out in this covenant community. What was my second point? Committed community. It's just my brain fog, sorry. Compassionate community. They saw this gospel message lived out. The gospel isn't a thing for the future. It's not something that is just when we get to heaven. The gospel is something that starts here and now in our lives and is demonstrated. The gospel is a thing for body, soul, and spirit. As we were praying for Andrew Hepburn yesterday, one of our missionaries, we support his project out in Laos. And we considered the things that they did in order to reach that community. And in reaching that community they're able to speak into that community and bring the words of Jesus into that community. It's the same here, exact same here. We need to meet the person's need, the whole person. So it's not just about going to heaven, but let me remind us what the Bible says. The disciples said to Jesus, how should we pray? What did he say? Pray prayers about heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come here in Whitburn and your will be done here in Whitburn as it is in heaven. He's talking about praying heaven down onto earth so that his kingdom and his kingdom's rule and authority begins to be manifested in our community. And it's not just about good works. It's about good works inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's about ushering in a new kingdom, his kingdom. It's about his rule, his government. You prayed about laws this morning, Anne. It's about his laws and about his qualities being exhibited in the earth. I see in Acts 2 a church that I want to be part of. I see in Acts 2 a church that excites me. I see in Acts 2 a church that is passionate about God and I want to be in a church where people are passionate for God. And I see a church that lives outside of its own walls. It just doesn't exist for itself but lives outside of its walls in the community. I want to be part of that kind of church. It's a church that's making an impact. and It's a church that's growing and serving and loving. And it's a church that's full of real people being transformed by God's power at work in their lives. We are flawed individuals, every one of us, but his spirit comes in and empowers us and transforms us and changes us so that we're becoming into Jesus' likeness. I don't know if everyone in here has made the decision to become part of that church yet. I don't know if you've made the decision to become a Christian yet. If you've not, I urge you, To make a decision today to follow Jesus. To give your heart to Jesus. To bring all your burdens and your sin and confess them to him. And allow his Holy Spirit to come in and just occupy your life. To allow Jesus to come into the driving seat. And say, here is the key. You're shot now. I've been making a mess of it. Now it's your turn. And allow him to direct our lives. To show us where we need to go, so that we can sing the words that John Newton wrote in his hymn Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. (laughs) Musicians, come back up to the platform, please. Father, we thank you for your blessings which you pour out on us every single day. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to be appreciative of those things which you're doing. Father, help us to come before you every day and to give you thanks. Father, maybe uh, even as we open our eyes in the morning, as we swing around and put our feet on the floor, that we say thank you for waking me up today. Thank you for life. Thank you for the gift of health that you have given me, and that we begin to thank God for all that he is doing in us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be the people that you are calling us to be. Father, help us to stop waiting on you to do something, when it's actually you that's waiting on us to do something. And Father, we pray that you would come by your Spirit, and that you would minister into our spirits. Lord, that as we consider all of these things as a church, as we consider what this church needs to become in order to fulfill your purposes, then, Father, we pray that you give us such incredible wisdom. And, Father, we just pray that we would continue to hear your voice as a church. Father, that we would move into all the things which you have ordained for us. And, Father, we just pray that our hearts would be inspired. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be lifted as we think about the possibilities that lie within this church, the potential that lies within this church, in order that the potential to to see your kingdom come, your will be done, as we walk in to your plans and purposes. Father, as we allow you to take on the driving seat of our lives, and you take us around and show us things, and Lord, we pray that our hearts would be stirred, and that you'd cause faith to rise, and that you'd cause your ideas to rise, and strategies to rise, so that, Father, we may be able to be the people that you call us to be in this community. Lord, I pray for those who need a touch from you today. Lord, whatever that might be. Lord, whether it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Father, we pray that as we sing this final song and as we take up our offering, that you administer through the words of the song. And Father, that you cause our hearts to be open to you. And Father, that if there are things which are troubling us, that we lay them at your feet, that we lay them at the cross once again. And Father, we leave them there with you. And we walk on into a newness of life. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.